Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Nation. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, Episode 91. As you all know by now, Father James Altman, the most courageous priest we've heard in a lifetime, was unjustly silenced by his bishop, William Callahan of the Diocese of La Crosse. I'd planned on doing straight politics up until the presidential election, but coming to Father Altman's defense is entirely too important to put off. So Bishop Callahan's cowardly action against Father Altman is what we're going to talk about in this episode. We'll be right back after this message. I usually promote one of my books here, but from now on until the election, I'm going to run this. I have absolutely no doubt that President Trump will win re-election in a landslide victory on November the 3rd. However, and I pray I'm wrong, on November 4th, we'll see a level of violence that hasn't been seen in America since the Civil War in 1861. Certainly, we need to pray for God's mercy and protection, but we must also prepare. I'm begging you to spend the month of October building up your food reserves. If I'm right about the violence, it may be weeks before you'll be able to shop for any essentials, especially food. Be cautious, stay safe, and pray a lot. Just so we're all reading off the same page, I want to play a few cuts from the video that apparently provoked mindless panic among the cowardly Marxist elements among the American Catholic hierarchy, and almost all of them fit into one of those two descriptive categories. The name of the video is You Cannot Be Catholic and a Democrat, period. It was made by cinematographer Rebecca Brannan, and I want to thank her for kindly giving me permission to use outtakes from the video for this episode. There are six cuts in all that got Father Altman into trouble. I'm going to play them for you, but not necessarily in the order they were in the video. Let's listen to cut two. Here's a memo to clueless baptized Catholics out there. You cannot be Catholic and be a Democrat. Period. I've demonstrated for you in various episodes in the past just how true this is. In fact, I've even done something no other host I know of has had the guts to do. I've shown you how the Democratic Party and Satanism are intertwined and feed each other. Now let's listen to Father Altman as he implicitly affirms what I just said. Let's run cut three. Their party platform absolutely is against everything the Catholic Church teaches. So just quit pretending that you're Catholic and vote Democrat. Repent of your support of that party and its platform or face the fires of hell. Yes, Virginia, there is a hell. Father wasn't being hyperbolic here when he said everything in the Democratic Party platform violates Catholic teaching. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that the Democratic Party platform is anti-Catholic, anti-God, and completely disposes of any sense of morality whatsoever. Catholic Democrats, which is an oxymoron, were all incensed when Father told them two truths. The first, 
obviously, was what we've already mentioned about the morality of the Democratic Party platform. The other thing he said, and this made Catholic Democrats' heads explode, was that they were all in danger of going to hell. I failed to understand why that so enraged them, because statistically, 20% of Catholics don't believe in hell anyway, and the rest of Catholic Democrats are, wittingly or unwittingly, in league with the devil anyway. Of course, Father Altman embarrassed our American Catholic hierarchy by exposing them for the cockroaches that they are. He did this by pointing out their hypocrisy and talking about their current sweetheart, Father James Martin. Let's listen to cut one. Guess who was just a premier speaker at the Democratic National Convention? None other than the hyper-confusion-spreading heretic James Martin S.J. The three cuts I played for you so far were all enough to get Father Altman into trouble with any spineless jellyfish or darkness-loving worm of a bishop in the USCCB. However, what sealed his fate were the next three cuts I'm going to play for you. Let's roll cut four. Wilton Gregory, figure it out. Uh-oh, you don't mention the most powerful Marxist bishop in the country in any context he and his cronies find uncomfortable. But it gets worse. Let's roll cut five. Wilton Gregory's horrific attack on the one best pro-life president and his Catholic wife. That was bad enough, but this next cut was the final nail in Father Altman's coffin. Let's listen to cut seven. And when a pro-life president gets ripped on by an archbishop of the Catholic Church, who then, within days, urges his priests to go all political and join hands with the Marxist protesters, Black Lives Matter. I hear nothing but truth in these cuts. For the life of me, I can't understand why any authentic shepherding bishop would punish a good and holy priest for telling the truth. And believe me, I know for a fact Father Altman is holy, the way I know Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke is holy. Five minutes with either man, you realize you're in the presence of a saint. However, what I can understand is the motivation behind the diabolical Marxist Archbishop Wilton Gregory of Washington, D.C. wanting to crush Father Altman. You see, cockroaches hate to be exposed by light, and that's what Father Altman did. His desire to crush Father Altman is what resulted in Bishop Callahan's fraternal correction of Father. Those in support of Bishop Callahan's action against Father Altman, and misguided Catholics who say a fraternal correction of a priest is none of our business, say I'm wrong to go after Bishop Callahan for his cowardly behavior in this episode. Ordinarily, they'd be correct about the privacy of a fraternal correction, but Bishop Callahan made it a public matter. This makes his actions against Father Altman fair game, and I'm one Catholic declaring open season on Bishop Callahan. After all, even the great Bishop St. Augustine told us that when a bishop is wrong, the laity have to call him out for it. Catholics are finally beginning to realize that if they want to save the church in America, they have to fight for it. This situation with Bishop Callahan and Father Altman is a hill I'm willing to die on, and it's my hope that the entire sick pack nation will do the same. In fairness to Bishop Callahan, I've sent him a letter telling His Excellency that I was going to do this episode nearly a month prior to actually publishing the episode. 
In that letter, I told him of some of the accusations I'm going to level against him. Then I extended an invitation for him to be a guest on the Cantankerous Catholic to answer those accusations. As of this moment, I've not had a reply. I really don't expect a reply, because any bishop willing to perform a cowardly and unmanly act such as Bishop Callahan did to Father Altman certainly won't have the guts to face the six-pack nation to defend those actions. While there's no way to know with any moral certainty exactly what restrictions or conditions Bishop Callahan placed on Father Altman, we can know from Father's sudden disappearance from the national Catholic scene that what happened wasn't merely a fraternal correction, but Bishop Callahan actually silenced this good and faithful priest. Fortunately, Father Altman didn't lay low long. The very first thing I want Bishop Callahan to tell us is what in the world did Father Altman say that was untrue? To say that no Catholic can vote Democrat is absolutely true. Everything, 100% of the things on the Democratic platform is a gross violation of natural and divine law. Yet all but a few bishops that I know of are still unwilling to condemn the politicians in the Democratic Party as adhering to serious offenses against Almighty God. They're even more cowardly in refusing to publicly declare that any Catholic who votes Democrat is voluntarily participating in mortal sin. Do you know why members of the USCCB are unwilling to condemn the Democratic Party and its platform? Although no bishop that I'm aware of has come right out and admitted that he's Marxist, many of them, perhaps even a majority, have repeatedly made Marxist and socialist comments in public or through their various documents. They've done this mostly through their false teachings on so-called Catholic social justice, and they've done so for over 50 years. I've got news for you bishops and your cronies in the massive USCCB bureaucracy. Genuine Catholic social justice is found in the corporate works of mercy, period. There is nothing else, and this has been taught by Holy Mother Church since the Holy Spirit breathed life into her on Pentecost. Marxism and socialism have been repeatedly condemned by the church, but that doesn't seem to matter to the bishops. In all fairness to Bishop Callahan, I don't believe he's numbered among our many Marxist bishops. I believe he's just weak and a coward. When Father Altman called out the powerful Archbishop Wilton Gregory of Washington, D.C. for his hypocrisy and implied Marxism, there's no doubt that Gregory and or his cronies began implying immense pressure to Bishop Callahan. A man, you know, someone with a backbone who does manly things, would have stood up tall and firmly resisted those pressures in favor of truth. A true bishop would have stood by his priest for telling the truth and supported him in the face of all opposition. But that's not what Bishop Callahan did. So, yes, I'm saying he betrays both his God-given manhood and that he's more like the cowardly Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed than Pope Peter on the day of Pentecost. Bishop Callahan wrote, Quote, when we approach issues that are contradictory to the faith and teachings of Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church, particularly on abortion and other life issues, we should invite dialogue and heartfelt conversion to the truth. Our approach must never seek to divide, isolate, and condemn. Boy, have I got some responses for that stupidly idiotic statement. 
actually Bishop Callahan's statement wouldn't be idiotic in virtually any other context, but in this case it makes him look like the Neanderthal who drools while trying unsuccessfully to tie his shoes. For starters, Bishop Callahan, what do you think we've been doing for the last 47 years if not being in dialogue with the pro-death Democrats? The more we dialogue, the more deeply they entrench themselves. We presented every single argument and logic and right reason there is to present. At some point, and that time is long overdue, we have to stand and fight, especially when countless innocent lives are being slaughtered. The time for dialogue is no more. And how can you possibly say our approach must never seek to divide, isolate, and condemn? I suppose then that John the Baptist was wrong for publicly and loudly calling out King Herod. In John the Baptist's heir, did Jesus say our approach must never seek to divide, isolate, and condemn? No! Jesus held John the Baptist up as being the greatest, most faithful servant of God to have ever been born of a woman. Then Jesus himself divided, isolated, and condemned when he loudly and publicly called people hypocrites, liars, and white-painted sepulchers full of dead men's bones. He drove people from the temple with a whip he made from cords. How do you get more divisive and condemnatory than that? One little piece of scripture you must be forgetting, Excellency, is that Jesus told us, Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's the nature of truth, Excellency. It's divisive. Maybe it's been so long since you've actually spread truth that you've forgotten that. No, you and the rest of your phony bishop buddies at the USCCB are traitors to Jesus Christ and the church he established. Even worse, you're a traitor to the priests you're supposed to lead and support and the lay people you're supposed to shepherd. Am I judging you? No, I'm judging the very public actions you chose to take and all that they imply. You're a disgrace to your Episcopal office and you should either repent and do penance or somehow muster enough courage to admit you're unfit to be a successor of the apostles and resign in shame. The only thing Father Altman did wrong, by modern Catholic standards, was that he fulfilled two of the spiritual works of mercy, to instruct the ignorant and to admonish the sinner. And you shamefully silenced him for doing what all Catholics are obligated to do. That's akin to a child being punished by his father for doing his chores. Your action, Excellency, is absolutely disgusting and repulsive. That's the way it is with Bishop Callahan, and I seriously doubt that there's a single person in the six-pack nation who disagrees with a single word I've said. But what are we going to do about it? You may be thinking that there's nothing we can do about it, because the laity has no control over bishops. But you'd be wrong. The laity have saved the church before, but they had to fight to do it. Now's the time to stand up and fight. The church exists on three planes of reality. The church victorious, which is the church in heaven. 
the church suffering, which is the church in purgatory, and the church militant, which is the church on earth. Why do you think the church refers to herself as militant? The reason is because we have to fight as long as we live. We have to fight to advance the cause of Christ and for the divine rights of Catholics. We have to fight abortion, homosexuality, pornography, every sort of evil there is. Now we have to fight to save the church, certainly globally, but at least in this country. We talk about most of our bishops as being jellyfish because jellyfish are spineless. We say that most of our bishops can't stand up to do what's right because you have to have a backbone to do that. Well, it's time Catholic lay people understood that the same thing applies to us. We have to stand up and do what's right. There have been several petitions circulating online in support of Father Altman, and I support participating in signing those petitions. Not because they work, they don't. Petitions almost never bring about the desired result. Once in a great while, petitions work, perhaps, because sometimes even a blind squirrel can find a nut, or someone playing Russian roulette may actually get lucky five times in a row. But on the whole, petitions don't work. I support petitions because they create a sense of unity and important movements have grown out of them. However, this isn't a time for signing petitions. This is the time for action. Bishops in America are like dishonest politicians without principle. They make their decisions based on polls and surveys. The only survey in this case has been the people the lacrosse chancery has heard from through letters and phone calls, and you'd better believe the majority of those people are Democrats. The biggest rats in telling Bishop Callahan what to think and do are that Marxist Democrat slimeball Archbishop Wilton Gregory and his equally slimy cronies in the USCCB. There, I said it, and I don't care if Archbishop Gregory hears it. His Excellency can't do a damn thing about it. Anyway, it's up to us to stand up and let Bishop Callahan know we're not going to be passive any longer. It's time for us to make him understand why we're called the church militant. You sign petitions? Fine. You may feel like you've actually done something by doing that, but you haven't. You actually have to do something. Get up off your chair, walk over to the phone, and call the lacrosse chancery. Then sit down and write a respectful but assertive and insistent letter to Bishop Callahan, expressing your extreme disappointment, anger, and disgust with his action against Father Altman. I've got all the bishop's contact information in my show notes. Will Bishop Callahan actually read your letters or hear your phone calls? No, he won't. But you can rest assured that his people will tell him that thousands of six-packers have expressed their disgust. Let Bishop Callahan know we need as many Father Altmans as we can get to rally around to save our church and nation, since he and his fellow bishops lack the guts and, apparently, Christian faith to do the right thing. Show some backbone. Put on your big boy pants. Be a genuine militant Catholic, and let's work together to save Father Altman from the tyranny of the abusive Bishop Callahan. Thanks to you, over the last 18 months, the Cantankerous Catholic has become one of the most popular Catholic podcasts in America. That means that the Six-Pack Nation can be an irresistible force for change. 
Together we can fight to defend Father Altman. In fact, we can stand together to fight for and defend all the great priests like Father Altman, and there are many of them out there. And as for the hierarchy, consider yourselves on notice. We're not finished with this issue, Bishop Callahan and your buddies in the USCCB, so if you want this to stop, you'd better repent. Be sure to go to my show notes to get Bishop Callahan's contact information. Then go to the bottom of my show notes and leave your comment about this episode. The whole reason this apostolate exists is for you, for the sake of your souls. I not only do the Cantankerous Catholic Podcast, but I also offer a free email course through joe6packanswers.com and offer a free webinar series called Sharing the Catholic Faith. I do everything I can for the benefit of souls, reaching out to both practicing Catholics, lapsed Catholics, and non-Catholics. As Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke told me, you receive the faith freely, share it with others freely. So I work alone and I do everything I can afford to do without cost to you. Until the lockdowns, I almost always earned enough revenues to cover expenses, and that's all I've ever cared about. Since the China virus lockdowns, I've had to face some pretty tough financial realities. During the lockdowns, my revenues were decimated, and I've had to pay expenses out of my pocket. Mrs. Sixpack and I live solely on our Social Security, which is very little. Paying monthly expenses out of pocket means doing without personal necessities, but we're committed to reaching souls. So it would be a great help if you'd help us meet our expenses. Therefore, I've decided that every January, April, July, and October, I'm going to ask you to help me help souls. In my show notes in the podcast player and at cantankerouscatholic.com, you'll find a link under the resources heading that reads, Help Keep Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate, Alive. Please click on that link to give to the apostolate, and please check the box to make it a recurring gift if you can. The gift page will say Catholic Media LLC. And I thank you in advance for your generosity. Oh, and be assured that you'll be remembered in my daily hour of reparation and rosary. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death spurs a pro-abortion mom to join the Satanic Temple. I'm not the type of person who would normally consider becoming a Satanist, the 40-something attorney wrote, but these are not normal times. You big dummy! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to the Hill. A federal judge ruled that Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf's coronavirus orders, which shut down the state, closed businesses, and limited gatherings, were unconstitutional. Oh, I love it! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic news pick, pick number, number three. Hats off to LifeSite News. 
A wife and mother urge priests and bishops to defend the church, to rise up in your manhood and lay down your life for us. The young Catholic woman, whose name has not been revealed, released her video in response to criticism of Father James Altman's strong rebuke of Catholics who vote for pro-abortion Democrats. That's awesome! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to the Hill. The Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals vacated a lower court ruling that had blocked Arkansas's pro-life law. The federal judges cited an opinion from Chief Justice John Roberts to allow Arkansas abortion restrictions to resume. The judges noted that Roberts wrote that, quote, state and federal legislatures have wide discretion to pass legislation in areas where there is medical and scientific uncertainty, end quote. Amazing! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to LifeSite News. A Catholic group rallying to have a total of 5,400 masses said in support of President Donald Trump's re-election says the response to its initiative has been nothing short of miraculous. (laughs) You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholicism 101 is the segment where Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, gives you little thumbnail lessons to help you better learn and understand the Catholic faith. Here's this week's Catholicism 101. A father gave a beautiful crucifix to his young daughter. Then he asked her, Annie, what's the difference between the figure of Jesus on the crucifix and the host which the priest holds up at the consecration of the Mass? Annie didn't hesitate a moment. When I look at the figure on the cross, I see Jesus, but he isn't there. When I look at the host, I don't see Jesus, but he's there. This is the true nature of the most holy Eucharist and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. But how much do we really know about the Mass? Before we can look a little deeper into the Mass, let's first look at a couple of the mechanics. Let's look at the matter of the Mass. In case you don't recall, the matter of any sacrament is some concrete thing or action. In this case, we're talking about the bread and wine used at the altar. For the Mass to be valid, the matter has to be valid. That is, the Church telling us what type of bread and wine must be used. The bread for a valid Mass must be made of pure wheat flour and water. It can't have any other ingredients such as milk, honey, sugar, or eggs. It must also be unleavened, no yeast or baking powder. The wine for a valid mass must be natural grape wine of very high quality. It can't be strawberry, watermelon, or muscadine. In other words, Boone's Farm is out of the question. Most dioceses publish a list of wines their priests are authorized to use, and there are several religious orders that support the communities by making altar wine that is of a high enough quality to be on the altar. There are many people today who prefer the old Latin Mass, also called the Tridentine Mass, or the extraordinary form of the Mass. Some of those people are so devoted to the Mass that they go so far as saying the ordinary form of the Mass, also known as the Novus Ordo, isn't a valid Mass. 
That attitude crept into the thinking of a larger number of Catholics than we like to think because of the disobedience of some priests in the 70s and 80s. There was a lot of unauthorized liturgical experimentation going on in the first 25 years after Vatican II, and all of it was bad. Of course, any disobedience to the church is bad, especially when that disobedience is perpetrated by priests. The abuses range from beginning the custom of communion in the hand, more on that next week, to liturgical dancers at the altar. This level of experimentation put a lot of people off to the point that some became schismatic. A few got so carried away that they were even excommunicated. One such person was a bishop in France who was excommunicated by St. John Paul II. I sympathize with those people who miss the old mass. I've been to a lot of the extraordinary form masses, and I personally love them. You get the feeling that you're somehow at the gate of heaven during one of those masses. Of course, Latin masses are again authorized for any priest who is trained for them, without special permission, thanks to Pope Benedict XVI. However, if one understands the origin of the Novus Ordo, one can't possibly find it to be an inferior mass. Indeed, an understanding of the origin makes you realize you're traveling through time and space back to the first century each time you hear Mass. The Mass is divided into two parts, the Liturgy of the Word, also called the Liturgy of the Catechumens, and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. In the first part, Jesus speaks to us through the Bible. In the second part, Jesus offers himself to the Father for our salvation. The Liturgy of the Word, or Liturgy of the Catechumens, and the Liturgy of the Eucharist have their origins from the ancient Roman persecutions. When the church was forced into the catacombs by persecuting Roman emperors, the church's leaders had to be cautious about the infiltration of spies. The common Roman belief about us was that we were practicing cannibalism, which stems from a misunderstanding of our reception of the body of Christ. So spies were paid to infiltrate our underground groups to gather evidence to that effect and turn us over to our persecutors. Catechumens, those learning the faith with the intention of joining the church, were permitted to stay during the first half of the Mass. You see, the very last thing catechumens were taught was the Holy Eucharist because we feared spies would cause the Mass to be raided by authorities who would desecrate the Eucharist. So at the close of the Liturgy of the Catechumens, those not in full communion with the church would be asked to leave with their catechists to continue their instruction. The hope was that if a spy was in that group of catechumens, he would actually be converted by the time he learned about the Holy Eucharist. After the Liturgy of the Catechumens is finished, we then witness the pre-celebration of the Liturgy of the Eucharist. This is the point, of course, when Jesus offers himself to the Father in a representation of the sacrifice of the cross. Then we receive him in Holy Communion, which will be the topic of Catholicism 101 next week. God isn't bound by time, space, and dimension like you and I. He knows no yesterday, today, or tomorrow. Everything is happening for God in the present. You and I can recall what happened a moment ago, anticipate what may happen a moment from now, and experience the present right now. For God, though, everything's already in the present. 
That means he experiences the creation of the universe, the end of mankind, and everything in between all at the same time. Due to the divine and mystical nature of the Mass, when we attend Holy Mass, we're simultaneously present in the upper room at the Last Supper, at the foot of the cross while Jesus offers himself to the Father for our sins, and present at the altar where Jesus perpetuates his sacrifice to the Father on our behalf. If you were actually there in the upper room with Jesus and the apostles, what would your demeanor have been? If you'd been on Calvary at the foot of the cross, standing next to the grief-stricken mother of God, how would you have behaved? How much respect would you have shown in those situations? Would you have or express sorrow for your sins, or would you act and dress like you were at a company picnic? Well, you really are present at those events. That's something we should really keep in mind at every Mass. Do you have an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a Holy Orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, the Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The Cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week. And our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other podcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, all of these media together, or in any combination. So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com or email Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, directly at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. Today's Catholic quote is from St. Vincent de Paul. He said, The most powerful weapon to conquer the devil is humility. For, as he does not know at all how to employ it, neither does he know how to defend himself from it. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. When King Arthur was first made king, he used to ride out himself in search of adventures. One day his friend Merlin told him, Tomorrow you will meet a dwarf who will challenge you to fight. You will overcome him, and then you must kill him. Next day in the forest, the dwarf stood in Arthur's path with a sword in his hand and challenged him to fight. Arthur dismounted and fought. 
The dwarf proved to be a good swordsman, but Arthur easily disarmed him. And when he begged for mercy, Arthur let him go. On his return, Arthur was met by Merlin, who shook his head and said, If you don't kill the dwarf, he will someday destroy you. Next day, the dwarf appeared again. He looked an inch or two taller. They fought again, and again the king spared his life. This happened for ten days, by which time the dwarf had grown to nearly full height. But at last, on the eleventh day, a great giant rushed out from the trees, killed Arthur's horse under him, and set upon the king himself with his great sword. Only after a long and terrible fight did Arthur manage to strike the giant's skull and kill him. Arthur himself sank to the ground, sorely wounded. When he came to himself, Merlin had found him and was tending his wounds. Arthur didn't consider the dwarf as a great enemy, so his fault wasn't great when he disobeyed Merlin. But later, when he realized how great an enemy the giant really was, he killed him. The dwarf is venial sin, which has to be overcome in the early stages, otherwise its power grows. A habit of venial sin will end in mortal sin. The devil tempts you by inviting you to commit venial sin. If you don't put away this temptation from the beginning and kill it, you'll find the temptations grow stronger. Then maybe you won't be strong enough to overcome it, and you'll fall into mortal sin, risking your immortal soul. Help your fellow Catholic six-packers. They need to be listening to the Cantankerous Catholic, and you can help them find it better if you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Leaving a review will make it easier for other Catholics to find the Cantankerous Catholic, because reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show it more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.